You are listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast. We find little nuggets, treasures, valuable pieces of gold in the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast and pass them on to you, perhaps expand a little bit. We are not associated with Joe Rogan in any way. Think of us as the talking dead to Joe's walking dead. You're listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review. What a bizarre thing we've created. Now with your host, Adam Thorne. This might either be the worst podcast or the best one of all time. One, go. Enjoy the show. Hey, guys, and welcome to another episode of the JRE Review. First off, I want to start by giving a shout-out to our boy over at JRE Companion, the best Instagram to follow for any fan of the Joe Rogan. They just hit 100,000 um, followers. Yeah, Ooh, baby. How good is that Instagram? It's great, man. Yeah. I love it. It's perfect. It's exactly what you need to follow. It helps me make this show. Love that guy. Well, and he beat us in the amount of time he listened to the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, it's like 28,000 minutes. Yeah. Right? 14.6 days or something? No, I think he had 24. We got to like 23,000. Oh, sorry. 24,104 minutes The guy's of listening a, The guy's time. a pro. He's a pro. But anyway, shout out to him. Love that guy. And follow it if you don't already. Yeah, JRE Companion. Hey, good evening or good day. I don't know where you're at in your day or your evening, but nice to be tuned in and be on the mic with you guys today for how many episodes are we at now? Holy cow. Almost 300. 300 episodes of the JRE Review. Who do we got this week? This week we have Mr. Stephen Pressfield. Oh, the man. Yep, legend. Love him. Love his book. We will definitely be talking a lot about that. Uh, Mr. Danny Brown, who I hadn't heard his raps before, went got got a little deep with some of his raps. They're good pretty, guy. Yeah, they're good. And he's from Detroit, so I got to love that. Legend. And also Mr. Sean O'Malley, who is from Montana, also legend. Dude. I mean. That guy will knock you out. Sugar. Sugar show. Come on. So yeah, great week. Uh, Stephen Pressfield though really takes all the attention out of the other two, I think. But I just love him. I mean, he's the man, and it was just that to me was the the bonus and the highlight of the week. Well, what's important about him, and in regards to Rogan, is that when Rogan started doing podcasts back in two thousand nine, he used to have a box of this guy's book. Yeah. The War of Art. And give them away to people. And he would give it to everybody. I think it's like an instrumental part of how Rogan orients himself. Like, it, And as self-help books go, which I recommend that type of reading, I think it's really useful. That's my favorite type of reading. You know, there's a lot of books out there that sound good, but you don't really change any of your actual processes from it. Yeah. You know, it's just the way they come across. It's like... You can listen to some podcasts about getting in shape, right? You listen to Huberman, and it's like, well, workout and sauna and all these. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. And you get done with the podcast, and you maybe don't do anything about it. Yeah. So there's True. like a, kind of a paralysis through podcasting that exists. And it's the same with those self-help books. There's only a few, realistically, that I've read that actually made a change. And I would say Pressfield's at the top of that list. Do you want to know why I think that is? Let's go. <laughs> of course I do. It's easy to read. 
He hmm. doesn't make a lot of these self-help books. There's lists and there's things you have to do and there's tasks, right? Yeah. The, Pressfield doesn't deal with that. He just says, this is what happens. You're, you're getting this resistance every day. Uh-huh. And it's, it's universal. Oh, yeah. Everyone deals with this resistance. Of, I don't want to get up in the morning. I don't want to do my shit. I call it like the blank page syndrome, right? You're staring at a blank page. Yeah. And I don't know what to write. I don't know what to place on there as a graphic designer, like as an artist, don't know what to put on the page. But once you break through that, I feel like exponentially you just start working. Yeah. And it's like this this thing happens with the universe and it like it wants you to then work once you break through that resistance. But I like Pressfield's books because they're easy to read. You can you can skip around, mm-hmm. right? It's like a bunch of short stories basically. Yeah. And but you know it's nonfiction short and it's, stories. It's an easy one to come back to, which is also recommended because even Pressfield says it never goes away, right? And it only kind of gets easier because he practices so much, which is like everything. But it's still there. I don't if know if it gets time, easier, dude. I don't think he thinks not. that. I don't think he thinks it gets easier. He Ooh. just knows it's there, dude. Yeah, he knows it's there, and he know. He doesn't forget that it's there, so he he forces himself. I think he's just a little bit more disciplined about it, but I don't think it's any easier to break through it. But it's an important message because think about it. He wrote this book a long time ago, right, relatively. Yeah, I think it was like 2005, he's 2002. He's done speeches on it, sold a lot of copies, had to reply to a lot of emails, come on Rogan and talk about it many times, and still he's not coming in as like the guru of non-resistance like oh i'm past this i figured it out he's like no 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 it's still there it always will be it always will be for everyone and often with those self-help books it's like the habit book for example which sold a ton i read that the seven habits of highly effective people no i think it's just called habits oh i haven't read that yeah that that's successful people oh yeah yeah Either way, that's actually a really good book, but it's long. You know, it's not one that you're going to come back to a lot. It's just heavy. The habit book's shorter, but I got done and I was like, I'm not going to build any new habits from this, probably. It sounded clever, but they almost preach it to you in a way of like, oh, yeah, I've already figured this out. And it's, you know, that resistance isn't going to be an issue. Like, I know it. I wrote this book. I'm the professional. I know everything about it. It just, like there's no arrogance that comes from Pressfield totally. that I can feel. And it doesn't feel like an assignment. What mm-hmm. you're saying is when you read those books, you feel like you're at school. Like I have to do, like follow these steps, right? Yeah. Pressfield doesn't have any steps. Pressfield just says, this is what's happening. And in order to turn pro, that's what I love about it. He's like, you're just a fucking amateur until you break through this resistance that's happening and do it every day. It's all about that discipline of getting up, making yourself write or making yourself do artwork or, you know, he may, he creates films. So he's writing a lot, obviously, as well as yeah. you know, he's writing screenplays and writing books. You know, Rogan's writing bits all the time. And Rogan talks about how, you know, he has this uh, agenda, right? He has, there's, there's days in the mornings now where he does start. No, he writes late at night, doesn't he? Yeah, he l- writes He late gets usually. high, writes late at night. Good work. Comes home, maybe has... It's a little too many mushrooms and starts right. Um, but he, he knows weed, dude. he knows that there's a resistance that needs to get broken through. And I, it, 
I'm, I'm going to keep saying resistance, but if you haven't read this book and you don't know what we're talking about, read it because everyone struggles with this. And I feel like as soon as you become a pro, as Pressfield says, and fight this power, it's like this weird power that comes over us that doesn't want us to create. But as soon as we break through it, the creation just comes in waves. Yeah, It's like this energy that they talk about that just this creative energy that just starts happening. It's like, where are these ideas coming from? I don't know, but they're coming. Well, what I really liked about what he said, and I'd never thought about it that way to the same degree. Like I thought he brought something very new to this conversation. And it was like the ego part. It's like the ego is there to protect you. Right. But it's also scared. So if you, if you sit there and think for a second, and, and obviously Joe brought up, I think, the best example because stand-up comedy is something that I think almost everybody would like to try once. Mm-hmm. People are terrified so of. So fearful of it, yeah. But there are funny people out there, and then when they think about doing it, and I've invited a lot of people to open mics, and you watch. You watch people's confidence disappear, right? I mean, totally. You, I mean, you could see it in Danny Brown's podcast because he was. We'll get to that, but like he was getting nervous, and he's already a rapper, famous, has time on stage, a good podcast, has all the friendships to do it. But that resistance is right there, and it it honestly instantly becomes a roadblock. It oh, just absolutely. shuts you down. And there's been so many times that I've like sat in front of my computer. I have some school project to do or just something important to write. And it's like my hands can't even get on the keyboard. Yeah. Which sounds insane because other times if it's like just an email to you where I'm like, oh, I got to tell Todd something. Like there's nothing. It's it's like we create the the boundary by making the event maybe too big for ourselves well but ego's doing that right but that's it yeah and it's just so cool to think of it that way and then once you get the ego bit out of the way which is trying to keep you safe it doesn't want you to you know write a book that everyone will then criticize and then you'll feel so bad it'll ruin your life or say a speech somewhere that everyone would judge you on and then it'll just destroy you that's why you get so nervous when you public speak because totally. you're kind of on trial yeah, you're being judged for sure. Yeah. You're being judged. So your ego wants to protect you. It makes you nervous. It tells you, don't do this. Hey, well, you can still live without doing this. But you'll never reach like your full potential. Maybe, yeah, or maybe your truly creative self right. in a public kind of place. It's true, man. I mean, he said it. It's like ego, ego equals fear, self equals love. So as soon as you can get away from being fearful of it and just realizing that really to love that that inner portion of yourself. I like when he brought up Joe, uh, Joe Dispenza. Have you have you listened to him much? No. He talks about the quantum self and it's basically the same thing. This idea of where there's no ego, all these ideas start pouring in and all of this energy hmm. from the universe just comes in we don't know what this energy is, but it's real. You can't deny that this happens as soon as you let go of the ego and just start writing something or as soon as you 
let go of the ego and and get up on stage and do stand up. Yeah. You've been there. We'll where do, ideas just start coming to you, we'll dude. We'll do enough right? mushrooms to well, where you too. have no choice. That too, but ideas start coming to you on stage that you didn't even fucking think about, right? You might have had a bit started, but all of a sudden things start connecting, right? You're definitely funnier when you get out of your own way. Yeah, when you stop thinking about how people are going to react and you stop thinking about yourself as a fearful thing and just de- as soon as you let go and don't give a fuck that's yeah. when things start coming together i used to do this show in koreatown called the challenge mike right and the reason i did it is because i used to watch uh jeremiah's show which is stand up on the spot i used okay. to go all the time and rogan would go every other one so i think they put the show on twice a month and actually, Rogan went to like almost all of them, but it was a really interesting show at the comedy store because Jeremiah Watkins would put it on. He's great. He does a lot of work with uh, Kill Tony. And it was where the audience would just call something out. And, and you, you have had to make to play. it up. Yeah. And other big comedians would go on, but no big comedian would go on as much as Joe, which I really admired because it's a fucking difficult show. Yeah, people just shout things out from the crowd, and because also it's Joe, you they had to put a bit of a disclaimer because people would shout the same things often because yeah. they know him. They'd be like Fear Factor or you know, yeah, UFC, and it's the same shit. So, so they change it. They tell people that no, they'd so be that like they try not different. to say those things right. and just give him other topics, and he would just always hit it. But it's terrifying because yeah. you, you can't really use your material dude it's improv all day dude. that's why improv is so good for actors and and stand-up yeah but it's not right? really it's it's like stand-up improv well right improv even harder. is like opening a cupboard and like setting that's a true. scene and but, but it's, it's still improv you got to make it up yeah and for stand-up that's the hardest it's like so freestyle challenge mike did this and but this was just for open micers you would think that you know most people bomb all the time, especially when they're open micers. Like, you're bombing more than you do well. Yet, in these shows, it's like almost exclusively bombing. And the best ones were always when you got out of your own way. You just right. You just were like, accepted the fact you were going to bomb. You knew it before you got up there. And if you had a good sense of humor about it, you would win the crowd over. And right. they were the people that always did the best. Well, because you're laughing at yourself, right? Yeah. You're, you you're, know. It's going to be a mess. Isn't that just taking the ego away when you're like, fuck it. It's, I'm laughing at myself. I'm, I'm relaxing by understanding that this is something that's hard, but I'm going to get through it by just being humble. Right. Right? And kind of like not taking yourself seriously. Too serious, yeah. But, you know, and the hard thing about that is people, people think, look, you got to take everything seriously. This is how you get really good at things and etc etc well to a degree yeah but you can also like completely freeze yourself with that that leads into like perfectionism and you you know you struggle with that sometimes yeah absolutely and it's uh yeah it well the problem with perfectionism is it stops you from getting something done because you're putting it off putting it off until it's perfect and then you might miss a deadline or you might you know not get it out the way you want it and feel really bad about it, but no one else is going to notice. So just fucking get it out. Good enough, right? It's good enough. It's good enough because who else is going to notice those small 
imperfections, me. Maybe maybe a couple other people, but m- probably just me. No one else will really see it. Do you think the key is to hone your art, right, which is what you do by making magazines and doing it for years and years and just, like, believing that you're getting better, knowing it, too, because you're practicing it, doing it over and over like I would have done with stand-up and other people do all the time with the things that they do. And then when it comes to crunch time, when it's, like, display your work, the an- like the idea that the answer to this equation is good enough is it really is what you should focus on rather than making it perfect because you've been training you've been practicing it's going to be good it's hard for me to say that because i don't want i don't want to just be good enough i want to be the fucking best too much pressure it is too much pressure but i think that i think my answer to that would be start earlier and know once i start like break through the break through the the muse like pressfield says dude we got this we've got this energy that is hovering over us that does not want us to produce or create it's this it's the ego it's this fear mm. and getting through that once i start something that that makes more sense once i start something i keep doing it like i get excited right it's the starting that's the hardest part yeah that's that's really where this comes down to once you start doing something and you're in it you get in the fucking groove you get into that that uh what do they call it the flow state dude i'm surprised he doesn't just call it the flow state because to me that's what it is yeah you're in this flow state where nothing else matters you're hyper focused it's been picked up by hippies so it's getting a bit of a but that's what it is though yeah it it gets a bit cheesy to kind of say it, but there is there is something like that for sure. I mean, don't, don't you think that's what they're talking? I mean, they might not call it the flow state, but that's what they're talking about when they say when you break through that that ego and that fear and start working and get to work and be a pro. Mm. Yeah, you're, it's just so hard to you're do. in the zone, and it's important in the zone, to remember buddy. that's what it is. You're in the zone. Well, I was thinking about it the other day because I had a paper to write. And I got close to the end, and I was getting a bit tired, and I thought, you know what? I am done. I'll do it tomorrow. And there's definitely time for that. But then I also realized, wait a minute. It took me like 45 minutes to start this bitch. So I'm going to come back to it tomorrow, and I'm going to have to have – there's a good chance I have that much time to get going again, and I'm almost done. I'm already doing it. Yeah, I'm already past that point. Why not just sit in this moment and just try and get it done? And then what happened? Well, I just finished it because I was worried I wouldn't do it. Was the next shit day. coming to you though? Like once you once you decided, I was already, that? yeah, I was already in the groove. I was just getting a bit tired, a bit frustrated, but I already knew that like I wasn't frozen with right. the work. I like knew what else I needed to look at. Yeah, but ego was sneaking into you. It was. That's it was just bitch. being such a little bitch. Mm. It is so funny though. I mean, I did it last night. I was, I couldn't sleep. So I said, you know what? I'm going to stay up and work. And as soon as I started getting into, like, I was putting some stuff on our website and, you know, putting a story up on the web. And as soon as I started looking through photos and putting up the text and, like, creating, you know, this web page or, I guess, post, I got excited. You know, as soon as I feel like as soon as I start anything, that's creative. I get excited. It's the starting, man. Yeah. 
It's the starting. Yeah. And it's like Pressfield talks about waking up in the morning. That's his hardest part. That's like that that's where the most resistance comes in for him, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting because he does seem like such a pro. And he was saying when he wakes up in the morning, that's the hardest time for him to like get out of bed and like realize that, you know, today is gonna be a good day or yeah, whatever. But, but this is the thing. We you can't you got to be careful about holding people on pedestals thinking, oh, well, it's easy for them because they already do. It's like yeah. Joe brought up David Goggins, and he stares at his shoes for 30 minutes sometimes before uh, he runs you God. know, 40 miles. But he breaks through it every time. But you would think that he would just be able to do it without stopping. Dude. Like immediately gets – like – there's almost, and like I'm sure a, on most days he can. But yeah, yeah. The, but there's there's like this downside to these people that do amazing things. We think about it; it is, inspires us. Yet when we feel the resistance to go do similar stuff, we're like, "Well, they can just do it because they're always good at it." Yeah, dude, I can't imagine staring at my shoes for thirty minutes. I would talk myself out of it one hundred percent of the time yeah. if it took me that long. He just won't leave the pocket. He stays right in the pocket, goes through it all, and then he's like, damn it, I put those on. It's such an important message. Like, nobody's cured. Then he runs 50 miles. Yeah, and his toenails fall off. and it's just. He's like, I'm just going to run a light 20 today. Oh, yeah. I don't think he's ran only 20 a day in years. But But it's great kind of to hear that process. Also, when Joe brought up Sober October and doing the 500 calories a day, so Pressfield said, hey, why don't you do that every day? Yeah. And he was like, well, you know, my schedule, other things. I mean, I guess you could call those excuses, but that's kind of reasonable, you know, because he's pushing extra hard for that month, and that's kind of how that month is designed. But the fact that I think he said he was going to move it up to, what, five or six days? doing the 500 calories i thought he was just sticking to five well but either way yeah like that's an addition on what he's doing and he's like i know i feel better yeah fair fucking play that's intense yeah what did you think about him i can't remember if it was rogan who brought it up or pressfield about talking about how it was the dances and wolves thing like back in the day in the 1860s when we're fighting these tribes and these Native Americans that, you know, some of the, some of the, uh, you know, colonists, I'll call them Americans, I guess. Colonists. Yeah. yeah. We'll call Whatever. them colonists. They, you know, became a part of these tribes. However, however that happened, I don't know. I don't know if they were taken in or if they just wanted to be a part of the tribes or maybe they got injured and then taken in but they stuck around and and hung out with the Native Americans and then did not want to go back to the modern-day yeah, lifestyle. but it didn't happen the other way around, right? It, right. I think that it was, was like very interesting. Kidnapping of, like, the kids in both directions. Yeah. And there's, there's a way that is more natural, obviously, and then they went in that direction of... It was exclusively in the tribal direction. And they loved it. Yeah, it's fascinating. It probably just feels more it. normal. I would love it. I mean, it fits more with our DNA. We survived more like that 
for a longer period of time than whatever this modern world is. Well, they kept bringing up the point of a banker. Like, that's so much better than the life of a banker, you know, who doesn't want to go to work and doesn't want to deal with customers and just is sitting around all day. That is, we are not, we are not supposed to be like that. Like, our our brains are not supposed to do these things. Yeah, but... I don't think. I agree. But, like... I mean, we are now, but... We do podcasting. We're not going to turn around tomorrow and go live in a it's tent different, and start dude. hunting. It's different. I'm just saying it's it's more natural for us to be a part of the land and a part of a community. And whether or not modern society does this or not anymore, back in the 1860s, it was obviously a lot different. It just seems to me like... If you are in a society where every where there's a community of people that care for each other, there's so much more love and so much less ego. I think is what it comes down to. Yeah, I think it comes down. To but possibly, that's but how we've always been up until very 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 recently. Do you think though that it could just be um, that everyone has a sense of purpose in those sorts of tribes? They Absolutely. know their place. Yeah, they know what they need to learn what their position will be, well, it's what they're growing into. Whereas in regular society, you know, this is why people like Jordan Peterson and other influential kind of motivational individuals are like always find your purpose. Yeah. Because it's harder to do when you're in kind of modern Western life. So much distraction. Yeah. Well, sti- you just feel stimuli. like a cog stimuli. in the wheel, in the giant machine. But if you are in that tribal situation and that community where everyone is helping each other out, you know, you're dancing at night, you're by the fire, you're looking at the stars every night, you're camping out basically every day. How wonderful is that? Mm. That's what we've always done. And for him well, to bring that up. like being hunted by other tribes and going right. to war, there's fear, that's pretty brutal. There's fear from that too. But on the nights that maybe they feel felt safe, those that is... That is where you feel more like a like a I don't want to say more human, but you just you don't feel all of this stress and anxiety from external things other than yeah, maybe there's a tribe coming to kill your ass, but like what else are you scared of? I don't think that you feel you gotta like eat. what is the point of my life? Right. I think there's that a you purpose. know, yeah, you know your what the point is. Yeah. You're like, oh, I have this role. We got to keep people safe. I'm going to grow into this. This is what my position right. is. Right. Whereas if you're in an apartment and you work in this nine to five and you got this college debt and you're struggling to save, it's like great. And that just goes on. This is why people are moving away from it. In England, they just announced this thing where 100 British companies have moved to the four-day work week. I saw that. And I think that I really hope that's the start. So they were basically saying when I read the little bit on it um, that this is just kind of like this archaic thinking from the industrial age, like get the most out of people Monday through Friday, nine to five plus, get just get them working. Yeah. And now these companies are going to test this and see if they get more productivity. They will. Yet they pay them the same. They so will. So these people don't take less money home, which is important. And maybe the companies actually get more out of the people. 
I bet 100% they will get better productivity. I believe it. Absolutely. This is a great experiment. And this is coming into some, you know, because the the key is, it's not to say that, like, people in native tribes would have worked every day, hard every day. But it's kind of things that they see the value in, right? They see how it helps others, keeps everything going, and it's things they want to do. They feel a responsibility for it. Well, we can't do that with every job. There's going to be plenty of jobs if you work in a call center or wherever. You're never going to feel like this is helping the community or like making a big change, probably. Right. However, <laughs> now you get three days off to explore the things that are important to you, not just two exhausted days where you just want to sleep the whole time and then you got to go back to work. You get like almost half your life yeah. not being at work to kind of find out what you enjoy. It's huge. I think that's what's key about it. Absolutely. I love and that. And I'm sure a lot of people will take advantage of that too. Gives mm-hmm. you some time to do your thing. And then also, I mean, you come back happy to work, which how much more productive are you when you're in a good mindset and you're happy? hundred times more productive, dude. Yeah. So much more productive. It's like, it's like night and day. Yeah. So, the, the other bit that they talked about, was, and Joe brings it up a lot, is the hardest thing you've ever been through is, is the, the hardest, hardest thing. thing you know. And I think that's super important, and you shouldn't take that away from anybody. Like, sometimes you talk to some spoiled brats, you know, or some trust fund kids, and they're crying and complaining about X, Y, and Z, even though they're adults, and you're like, bro, grow up. Like, life's harder than that. However, it may not be to them. Like, that's the most they've experienced. Yeah. So other people obviously can have more resilience because they've been through worse things, but it's real. The same as like I think Joe said, like the kid drops his ice cream or loses his balloon, <laughs> you know. And you have a t- two-year-old, like you know, it can be like the end of the world. But like yeah. that is the worst that they've experienced, and I think that one you got to have patience for that with people doesn't mean they're useless, right? But also this goes back to pushing yourself into this, these harder things that are more difficult. Like life is always going to have some freaking struggle, something nasty going on. doesn't matter how smooth you make your existence, right? You could look at Joe and be like, oh, well, life's dope, so everything's good. There's always going to be something that doesn't make sense to him, that's a pain in the ass, something going on. I think they gave the example of it's okay to have a snake in the room as long as the lights are on. I love that. It's like it's okay to have something in your life that doesn't work as long as you're paying attention to what it is, as long as you see it, as long as it's in front of you. You can't pretend it's not there. And we all like to do it. I love to pretend that things aren't there. I mean, I'm I'm going to go to Jocko here because he mentions Jocko again. Discipline equals freedom, dude. Mm. To me, that's the that's the thing. Or even lately, I've actually been. I found this quote from Yvonne Chouinard, owner of Patagonia. Oh, he says, "I've found the cure for depression is action." And to me, that is exactly what Stephen Pressfield's talking about. As soon as you break through something and act upon it, you're not depressed anymore and the universe provides. Yeah. You're breaking through that that laziness, whatever you want to call it, that 
I don't want to do this today. I don't want to wake up. I don't want to. It's basically that inner bitch, which is your ego. Right. Saying, no, you don't need to do that. Coming up with excuse after excuse after excuse of not to go to the gym, not to write the book, not to learn a new language. Uh, you could point pinpoint it to anything that somebody wants to do. It will get taken over by your ego, telling you that and giving you an excuse. Yeah. Just so, don't don't stop working, jerk off, and then watch Netflix. You're going to get sad. You're going to get Save that sad. till the end of the day. Get your work done. Jerk You're off after your work. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Let's end exactly. it at that, Let's baby. end it at that. Let's oh. move over. <laughs> All right. We got some... Uh, Danny. Danny Brown. Danny B. Dude, well, I'd not heard of Danny Brown, and uh, it's mostly because I'm not cool enough to stay up to date with what's I mean, hip and happening good for him to, for being on your mom's house though I oh mean, yeah he's in ymh studios fucking you know cheers in with segura i can't believe i i don't listen to that show enough i really like that show but i just i got enough pods to listen to so i just watch clips and i guess i just hadn't seen him but i like his style i'm glad he has a podcast because if he didn't as soon as i heard him talking as soon as it started I was like, if this guy doesn't have a podcast, Joe's gonna suggest that he gets one. Yeah, but he already has one. So. Well, did 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 you think he ended up doing five minutes in Austin? I I can't remember where they where he said he was going to take him. The uh, yeah, the Vulcan. Oh, was it the Vulcan? I think so. Yeah. No, I thought he said. Anyways, it doesn't matter. He, uh, yeah. Anyways, he Joe was like telling him, "You got to do five minutes," and he agreed to it. I wonder if he actually did it. Mm. The the, st- the stand up. I'd like to night. know. I know. I tried to look it up, dude. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't. I couldn't get it on the twatter. Yeah, there's only so much we can do. But oh, he's... it was called the Creek in the Cave. Oh shit, Creek yeah, in the right. Cave. Damn it. So that must be another club in Austin. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of them out there. Yeah. But he was going on and on and on. I mean, Danny Brown wouldn't shut up about wanting to be a comedian. I mean, I yeah. feel like half of the three-hour-long episode was him kind of trying to talk himself up about wanting to be, do stand-up. I think so. But what I loved about it is, like, there was, like, this honest, authentic part. Like, he didn't he didn't just... Like, because he knows that he's a good rapper. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. He's, he's like, a good writer. I'm good at this. He's a good writer. I'm a good writer. I can do this next thing, yet I'm afraid. And he didn't say that directly, but, like, it was clear. And he wouldn't let it go. And that is him pushing through his own resistance. His ego back. was showing, dude. Well, it's scary, dude. Yeah, of course it is. You know, he doesn't want to bomb. He didn't want to like look like a fool in front of other... What I love about Joe, though, is he's relentless. He will not give you an excuse to stop. He's just like, do it. Yeah. Do it, nerd. And, you know, in a way... You could be like, well, that's kind of in regular life in some areas that could be like bullying or like, you know, putting too much pressure on some whatever you want to say. But it's the best way to encourage a person. I remember Joe once talking about this opener that he had and he had this like big show and he wanted this guy to open. He mm-hmm. didn't call the guy out, which is cool, but he talked about it on the pod and he said, hey, um, Come open for me. This is a big show. This would be great for your career. And the guy gave him excuses, didn't show up. And Rogan had someone else fill in who killed 
he filmed it and sent it to that guy and was like, look, dude, this guy killed, crushed it. Now, you could say, oh, well, he's like rubbing it in. But that's not what Joe was doing. He was like, this is the opportunity. That you just missed. This is why you have to do it. If this ever comes up again, you have to take it. I yeah. know it's scary. I know it's hard. Show up, and it doesn't matter how it goes, really. You just do it again. Get better. Keep going. Don't stop. I hope he gets on stage more. I mean, he's a funny dude. He was all over the place, for <laughs> sure. I mean, I fucking thought I had ADHD and was looking at 12 different squirrels all day all day long but right he was i mean i i feel like he couldn't keep his attention for more than a few minutes at a time uh-huh and i really i was hoping to see more i i really like when they talk about like he was talking about the rap game and how he came into it kind of late and i i just i want to hear more about people's internal process as creatives and i feel like a lot of times that doesn't get through well to give him some credit i think that what it sounded like to me was that he's faced the rap world right yeah not everybody is supporting each other they're trying to be the best and not help others so he kind of assumed maybe comedy would be like that and you know that he would get gatekeepers yeah that he kept Focusing on that, which is reasonable, right? If you really face, like, you, you've become very successful in a particular area, you probably think that the steps for achieving it in all other types of areas will be similar. Right. And that's reasonable. That's how you would learn anything anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And, right? he, and he doesn't know any better because he's not in the game. So what What else? How, how would you know? A hundred percent. But Joe was like, oh, I'm not having this. It's not how it works. This isn't what comedy is anymore. We're super supportive. You know all the people. You're going to be the only person that stands in your way, which is what's going to be true. There is no doubt that guy will come up with some really funny shit. Absolutely. Yeah. He. There's no doubt. But he has to do it. Scary stuff. I mean, you can tell he wants to do it, though. Mm-hmm. So it's all good. I mean, he's already done it with Hannibal Burris. Burris? Is that how you say his last name? Burris. Hannibal Burris. Yeah. I mean, he's already he's already opened up for him. I mean, I don't think it was a huge set. It was probably. I, don't I think know, he ten yeah, minutes. He just kind of went on stage Five with minutes. him and just kind of felt it out. And that's probably a good intro to it too. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that you have to always throw yourself in the deep end either, because that can go horribly wrong, and you can get really scared forever. Well, he was saying. Was he saying that he just came out with a new album too or something's about to drop? I think his record label is like holding it for some reason. That's what it was. Okay. So he's not sure what to do. But, you know, that video they played was hilarious and good. Yeah. I really liked no, it. I, and I, it's wacky too. And Jonah Hill shot it. That's cool. Which is sweet. Yeah. Do it. Speaking of Jonah Hill, off the subject for a second, but have you seen that movie that Jonah Hill just came out with on Netflix uh, about his therapist. Stutz. Is it Stutz? Yeah. Stutz. So good. So good. Really good. So good. I mean, obviously, I'm going into, I'm in grad school for behavioral health therapy. Well, there you go. Of course I would like it. Watch that movie. It's great. Dude, it's so good. He's, Jonah Hill's, you know, he's hip. I will say if, if, if fucking 
if Danny can get on stage and just talk about how much of a fucking game nerd he is, that shit's hilarious to me. That he can play power washing simulators for okay, hours on it. Let's go to that for a second, guys. <laughs> He's obviously please. obsessed, dude. He's please. obsessed. Seriously? I mean, I haven't played the game. I don't want to be too judgy. But, like, okay, so you're a rapper that can go to, like, <laughs> you can go to, you know, festivals and concerts and everyone's screaming at you. And then in your spare time, for free, yeah, you play a game that is the same as a job that you would never want to do. Driving trucks. I don't get it. Well, he clearly was sat in front of the TV. I mean, he mentions that he sat in front of the TV. His parents were didn't want him out in the streets of Detroit, so they put him in front of a game console. And Maybe, that's yeah, all that's he did growing right. up. So he became, you know, obsessed with games and shit until he was running the streets, you know, at 16, 17, whatever. But before that, he was sitting in front of the fucking probably Sega Genesis for hours on end. Yeah. Well, but, it's a, it's, you know, maybe it's not a bad distraction. I mean, know? he clearly it loves sound, it. It's funny to think about, though. Totally. That's like so silly. Totally. Like, it's almost like if they make the games look real enough, <laughs> it's like you could be mowing a lawn <laughs> and all of a sudden this is like therapy for you. You're just like, yeah, so peaceful. I just get in my VR goggles and jump <laughs> on a mower and I mow like seven acres. Dude. He's he was going on and on and on about that power washing simulator. I so want to play. Funny. Where do you get that? Fuck that! I don't want to play that. I've power washed decks before. <laughs> I my stepdad's deck. I power washed that fucking thing probably eight times in my life. Yeah, but maybe the video game's no. better, bro. No way. Maybe I mean, I guess points and gold I could see and tokens some, and some awards. Meditative. Uh, you know, there could be some meditative properties to that that would be helpful i think to get your mind off of other shit but i'd rather just fucking go to the gym or go to yoga or something but i'm with you but hey danny brown's his own man and he loves those <laughs> vr goggles yeah yeah well joe brought up another point about um duncan trussell who's a big gamer yeah and then they there was uh i think Shout out to our boy again on Jerry Companion. He put together like a slide of all the costumes that they've worn nice. over all the pods that he's been on. I mean, I'm pretty sure other than maybe Red Band, uh, Duncan's been on the most. And they always wear costumes. Yeah. And just watching how that goes and how they didn't ever stop doing it. I feel like, you know, as Rogan's grown... The podcast changes. He has to change with it, be more serious, be more responsible for some of the stuff that he talks about. He definitely doesn't get as high as he used to in the beginning, you know? Mm -hmm. And yet when Duncan's on, it's almost getting more ridiculous. Yeah. He's when let, they he's get on in lose. the best way. And it's so good that that happens. I mean, come on, dude. He hasn't lost. Just wait till, just wait till you're a dad. When you actually have those nights where you have a babysitter and you go out, Blackout Central, dude. Let's go. <laughs> Every time. Love that. All right, let's jump over to Sean O'Malley. Sean Ski. I didn't know he was from Helena, so shout out to Montana. Home really? State. You didn't? I didn't know that. Mm. I didn't know that until I was listening to the to the pod. Well, we're, also, just, we're just getting taught into the UFC now. I'm getting into it, dude. That I mean, speaking of that, that last what was that two weeks ago where there was like seven fucking knockouts? The Adesanya, dude, dude. That I was way into watching that. So basically, I've been wanting to get taught in to the UFC for a long time, 
And, I mean, there are certain people that you know, even if you're a fan of it, that just will never get into it. You can tell. All right? It's just That's like, not me, tr- though. No, but it's like trying to get me into golf. Never going to happen. Yeah. Right? doesn't right. matter what you say about it or how good it is. It's just never going to happen. Yet, sitting a few guys <laughs> down at the studio, putting the projector on and watching that fight, and it was like the most knockouts in UFC history. I so think like fun. the third most submissions plus only went to decision once. Yeah. It was... My, it was like any Dana White's probably been waiting for that since the inception of the UFC. It was that wild. Yeah, and I really didn't understand the significance of it until afterwards. Right, I'm just like, wow, is is this the way it always is? No, that might, not that, even close. That might be enough to get people. Hooked. I was way into it. It was that was a fun night. It was wild, that was really fun to watch. Well. I mean, Sean O'Malley came up through The Ultimate Fighter, the TV show, crushed it on there, and he's just been a character, right? He's very, very good, very long for, like, tall, lanky for his yeah. weight class. So yeah, he's that, six that's foot a huge tall, advantage. Six foot and, like, 120-something. Yeah, and he's got some jits, and he, you know, he's, like, well-rounded. Um, it'd be interesting to see how far he can go, but he's a great character and he seems like a good advocate for it. Like he's not a piece of shit. He, he talks shit when he needs to, and he's good at being a celebrity cause he's got his colorful hair, face tattoos. I mean, he's a wild character. He's a good personality, man. His but Instagram he's, but is he's great. he's not an asshole. His Instagram's great. Mm. And he loves smoking weed. He's an advocate for legalization, which I appreciate. Yeah. Well, you gotta and, chill out. And hemp, sometimes. isn't he? Does he's got a hemp? He's got his own hemp line too. Really? Or is that? Am I mistaken? Oh, I didn't know that. I saw something on his Instagram where he was like pretending to be. He he did this commercial for a brand, and I thought it was a hemp brand. He was talking about CBD. Okay. But I think he was just making fun of CBD while smoking a joint. I like it. Which was funny. Makes sense. I mean, he's just a funny dude. Yeah. Man. He seems to be in character at all times, and he's he's a good character. Right. Well, and he talks he shit. Is. He talks shit, which you got to as a fighter. Mm-hmm. You have to, but not mad shit, and it's no. not cruel. He knows the game, I think. Yeah, he just he seems like a genuine dude, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, Snoop Snoop got him famous, right? I mean, isn't that how he came up with his with Snoop? The... Snoop was a big fan of him early yeah. on, and of course, it makes sense. They're both dope, yeah, and smoke a lot of dope. I mean, his website's dope, too. The, mm-hmm. the Sugar Shop. Well, he talks about getting in the right headspace. And he br- brings up Cowboy, who has had, you know, some of the most fights in the UFC. Legend, dude from New Mexico. Lives in Edgewood, where I lived when I first moved to the U.S. I yeah. lived in that, you know. It's a city, but it's like a small town is what it feels like. I live there, and... Um, you know, for him to just like stay to his roots, he's a good guy. He's like the only guy Connor ever fought that there wasn't any shit talking. There was a lot of respect. He's a legend, but he would get really amped up, really nervous before his fights, like a lot of fighters do. So getting in that headspace is tough. For O'Malley, it seems like this is just go time. Like that's what makes him so good is he stays so loose. He's he got just, well. He's got a routine down. You see him. He's talking about listening to Jack Johnson, and then then he pumps up the music a little more. But he just—I don't feel like he 
gives a fuck. We were talking about that earlier. As soon as you get, as soon as you don't give a fuck and let go of your ego a little bit, you. Some people would look at him and think that he has an ego, but he does not seem that way to me at all. No, he seemed very chill. He see, and I've I'm seen saying. him in interviews when people have met him. They woke up to him to say hi. Like he seems like cool and gracious in that Super way. Super nice He's guy. Like, yeah. yeah, dude. What's grateful. Up? He's a grateful dude. Yeah. Like he, 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 like you said, gracious, but he, I feel like he understands the, he, he understands what he has done and he does, he's humble about it. Yeah. He doesn't seem like he has a ton of ego. He really doesn't. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't annoying me at all on the pod. No, I, right? I wanted to hang out with him. Right. Fuck yeah. He, he seems, seems cool just like a bro. That, I want to go have sure. a beer with him. And even his breakdown of like different fights different fighters. I mean, it was a very MMA-heavy um, conversation for a long time, so I knew that you might like lose some interest in there, which I get. I mean, you're just getting into it. You wouldn't know a lot of the fighters they're talking about and yeah. the ins and outs of what's going on. Um, but even his breakdown of a lot of the fights was like, it was really quite reasonable. He wasn't He wasn't hammering on anyone. He was giving everyone their due, which I loved. I mean, yeah. just respectful shit for sure. Um, yeah, well, there was a there was a good couple. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy. He was like they showed the video of him punching somebody. Was shit, someone was shit talking. Oh, I don't. What remember. was that? Yeah, shit. I don't, I, have I don't know if I have it in my notes, but I mean that was a long one, dude. Three hours and forty minutes. Woo! Some of these are. This is why. You know, I'm happy that I just now figured out how to play um, Spotify at 1.2. Mm. <laughs> I didn't One, know. 1.2. Yeah. I can't oh. do 1.5. They talk too quick. It's and then I don't, I don't feel like it's a normal conversation. It's no. like li- listening to chipmunks. Yeah, it's too much chipmunks. You know, he didn't talk much about being a vegan beforehand. Like, he was a vegan for a while. I was surprised he didn't talk about that more. I I would I'm interested in that kind of shit. I mean, my brother's a vegan. I don't want to be vegan. I love meat, but I just it always surprises me when when athletes of that caliber are vegan. And I just I I'm curious about it. I know I know some strong vegans yeah. in the jiu-jitsu community and they I can't beat them. I can't even get close. They're strong. So it works for some people. I don't know how they do it. I, I don't feel a, like I could do it. No scientist, no doctor, but I feel like it has a lot to do with your blood type. I've I've heard of this that your blood type kind of distinguishes what works and what doesn't work as sounds far as like, what you eat. That sounds like witchcraft. Maybe I think it comes down more to like your strategy. Right? You gotta supplement, you gotta make sure that you're getting the nutrients that you could be losing, and you've gotta be good at being a vegan. Like in the sense of like making sure that your food is cooked in a way the way you can extract the nutrients, and I you're mean, just you're not just eating French fries and salad, well bread, bread, yeah, that's yeah. I know some fat vegans, and it's all bread. I will say, talking about the retail heroin market, <laughs> making it the same as the marijuana market, that was interesting. I mean, you you think about it, it's like if every drug was I can't remember who brought it up, whether it was Rogan or O'Malley. Probably Rogan. If you think about it being regulated that way, it makes so much more sense to me. It's like there's you get rid of the fentanyl and all the coke out there and you stop killing all these people who don't know any better. Mm-hmm. 
it just seems like the right way to go. But Dude, you know I, our fucking government is making money off of these drugs, so they don't want to do it that way. But if they taxed them, they would be making even more. You would I, think. I saw something where it was like last year in the U.S., they, $158 billion was spent on illegal drugs. Yeah. No, it's, it was $150 billion. I have that down in the Dude, notes. Yeah, that is a lot. And if you tax that, that's a bunch. It's like, hey, we've been doing the war on drugs since the 70s, since Nixon. Yeah. Obviously, we suck at it because we're at $158 billion. And why not just be like, hey, guys, yeah, we suck at this. People are getting it anyway. We can't even stop it. Yeah. Let's get that shit up to $250 billion, tax it, and make it non-toxic, and then have good education around it. Absolutely. Why can't we have a good time? Within reason. I think they mentioned the fact that most, and you would know this growing up in England, most people in England, it's not a scary thing to drink a beer by the time you're, what, 14, 15, 16? 12. 12. Maybe 12 is a little young. I, I feel like you got to have hair on your nuts before you have a beer, but I could be wrong. Dude, they in France they give you a glass of wine with but, meals when you're. But you little. know, you you see where I'm getting at here. That to me, if you keep it more of this social thing and it's not this demon, it's like you you treat it more responsibly. If you and I'm not saying people should start taking illicit drugs at 15, but if people talk about it and say, yeah, yeah, you can do those things. You got to go get a prescription or you have to pay for X amount. You have to be 21 years old to get it, but it's regulated to the point where it's not going to kill you. You're not getting it on the black market. Um, yeah, I mean, if it's good, just talking about it, if really. good education comes with it and there it's isn't education. the same stigma, it's like, hey, there's a reason that we say be older when you drink a lot. Yeah. Your brain is developing. The same with other drugs, right? It's like parents will tell their kids, don't drink, don't drink. You can't drink. You're and then all you want to do is drink. But they're drinking. Right. So then you got to hide it from them, which we all did. Yeah. We'd all like sneak it and have our beers. But in England, do you, people weren't sneaking it that much, were they? It was like a more of a common thing, right? It's kind of hard to like equate this, but I think there's less binge drinking problems in universities in England than there is in the U.S. because basically – you know, kids in the U.S. may not have any access to it. They get to college, and then, you know, they someone go gets a hold of a bottle of vodka, and they have no understanding of it because all they've been told is don't do it, and now their friends are doing it, and then everyone's blacked out. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It may, It's probably just as bad in England, but there's something to, like, you know, it wasn't as big a deal. Like, yeah. we were 18 in England— and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get plaqued out tonight. I got shit to do. I'll drink a bit. We were legally of age. Yeah. And, you know, you move on. But I've seen plenty of people stateside that have just like, you could tell it's the first time they got a hold of it. And they're not going to make it the next two hours of this party. Mm-hmm. Bad move. Yeah, it's interesting. It comes, it really seems to me like it comes down to the moderation and the education. For sure. For sure. Well, on that note. Let's call it for this week. Thank you, Todd, as always. Good group. I recommend everyone go back and read uh, The the War of Art. Yep. And Stephen Pressfield. Yeah, what a legend. Yeah, and, my favorite um, for, the, for the week, for sure. And yeah, thank you guys and gals and whoever, non-binary, for listening. We appreciate you. And tune in next week.
Later. Later.